Hello. Hello. Hi, can you hear me? I can hear you, can you hear me? Yes, but not in my headphones. And this has been- yeah. um, So I have my, my podcast mic on and I didn't know which would be better because I didn't know whether one would work better than the other. Probably, your podcast mic's probably gonna just be fine. My podcast mic, I haven't been using because um, I've found it easier with my earbuds that don't connect work but let me check something here okay take your time okay do you want me to say things to see if you hear me yeah but it still didn't work so i'm gonna switch over to um the other one Okay, can you say something? I can say something. You can. Can you hear me? I can. Yes. <laughs> That's great. Okay. okay. Um, I'm going to get us, uh, let's see, I had an auto recording, so it caught all the setup. That's fun. Um, nice. <laughs> how do I, but this is kind of like, this, this is part of what I'm interested in capturing a little bit of, uh, like just this is how it is like things aren't perfectly polished and um, nope we're all just humans trying to figure this out <laughs> there we go <laughs> I got like that or maybe we're not humans I don't know well we're in a human suit so <laughs> yes well it's good to see you meet you like it's good to see you this is a long time in the making. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least, I, let's see, I, I was diagnosed in May of 2019. So I feel like that's when I probably discovered you and entered into uh, that world of appendix cancer people. Yeah. 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 So um, have you met a lot of others like us? Um, no. So I first I mean on the on Instagram right and then I I've been to uh, appendix cancer what is it the ACPMP whatever that stands for they had a conference and it was at UCSD in 2019 in the fall and so I met other people there but I haven't really stayed in touch because I mean I don't know it's we're so rare <laughs> we're so rare we are really rare yeah. And so um, since we are uh, recording this and this, we're going to share this conversation with people, um, maybe let's mention what, what this is, who we are and what this is. We're both appendix cancer survivors um, and appendix cancer is a one, one in a million disease. I think now they're saying maybe two in a million 
Um, we're still pretty rare. Still pretty rare, right? It's not, um, we're not pink ribbon people. Uh, well, I know you've had other types of cancer as well. Yeah, I've had thyroid and melanoma. Okay, okay. So those aren't really pink ribbon ones either. <laughs> like, no. you know, like big ones. No. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's probably a lot more that we could say about appendix cancer, but that's generally what brought us together. And then um, I had a podcast and you have a podcast and I listened to your podcast and have been greatly inspired by it. And Thanks. so we've, we've talked about meeting and exchanging stories. Um, so here it is, and it's going to be part of the Unraveling Rachel podcast, or my raw conversations. Um, so we're just going to let things flow. So do you want to say a little bit about you? about me? About you? <laughs> yeah. Um, so I was diagnosed with appendix cancer in 2011, um, and I know that you also just lost your father. I lost my father um, right after, like I had it's a long story, but, um, he and I had cancer at the same time and wow. I lost him, um, like right after I finished my HIPEC surgery and treatment and stuff. Oh, and really? yeah, he, he had, he had pancreatic cancer. That's what my father had. Okay. So you are the second person. You're one of three that I know of that a parent had pancreatic and we had appendix. See, so have you been, have you had genetic testing? They done? told me that there's nothing to do. Mm. Okay. I'm super skeptic of like Western medicine um, because they only know what they know right now. You know, there's so much unknown. And so they're like, oh, there's no genetic basis. And I, I had an interview with a genetic counselor and she's, I said, well, how much of that is just because you don't know much about it that you think that and she's like, oh, a lot. And so I was like, cool, I'm going to go ahead and do it then. <laughs> because then at least I know. And when information like this comes into my field, like there's something there, I think. Let me ask you a random question. Um, did you have, did you grow up at all around any um, nuclear stuff? No, not to my knowledge, but there's a high rate of pancreatic and appendix, well, I mean, I know other people who have had appendix cancer from the area I grew up in um, and pancreatic cancer. There's a high rate of that. So there's something in that area, lots of steel mills, um, mm -hmm. which where did you grow up? I grew up in Lynchburg, Virginia, um, home of Jerry Falwell. Oh, yeah, I grew up in... Long... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I grew up in Niles, Ohio, um, uh, birthplace of William McKinley. <laughs> okay, look at that. We can. Yeah, I think yours is more interesting. <laughs> um, well, it's interesting in the fact that my grandmother was a fortune teller in the same town that Jerry Falwell was a minister in, and I got to watch that my whole life. So that was uh, entertaining. Whoa, your grandmother was a fortune teller. Okay. I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about and we've already like zigzagged through <laughs> like, wait, where were we going with this? So you were diagnosed since 2011. So 
I was diagnosed in 2011. Um, so my dad was diagnosed, then I was diagnosed, then I had my treatment and then my dad died. And then I got like a month after dad died, I was diagnosed with uh, the thyroid cancer. And so, um, and then we moved. I was living outside of Philadelphia at that time. And my husband got a job outside of Memphis and now we're in Memphis, Tennessee. Um, so it's like everything happened in this one year and it was just like a lot. And then we moved here and it, it, in a way it's been interesting. It's like that happened there and now I'm here and what do I do now? And the people that I've met here don't know that experience of me. The doctors I've met here don't know that experience of me. Um, and then I, I came here and uh, in a previous life before I was a mom, I had been an art teacher. So I went back to teaching art when I got here. And so I took on that title for a while. And um, because of coronavirus, I quit my job because I was like, I'm not putting myself at risk mm -hmm. um, because they're not doing anything really to like, I mean, they're doing the best they can, I guess, but like, it's just not, it's, I didn't feel like it was safe, particularly when you've been through something or several things with your health. Yeah. Um, it's not like, I'm just going to be like, oh, I'm okay. If I get really, really sick again. Mm -hmm. So I quit yeah. that. And so now I'm kind of reevaluating who I am and what I am and what I have to offer and what I want to do. And I mean, wow, that's a, <laughs> that's a <laughs> lot that you've been through and a really cool, um, opportunity that I feel like you have right now. Cause I, oh, what is happening? Sorry. Something just popped up on my computer. Okay. <laughs> oh, good. Adobe wanted to update something. Go figure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Creative cloud. That's nice. No, thank you right now. Um, yeah. You're doing a lot with like art and creativity outside of the education system. Um, you already have your podcast going and all these artist groups that you've got going. And I, I'm interested in talking more about that too. Um, at some point here and I, <laughs> this is doing its thing again. No problem. I, I got smart and I know how to, I know to silence my phone, but I don't know if I can like silence everything else on the computer. You know? <laughs> I know. It likes to talk to you. <laughs> it does. Um, okay. So anyway, um, yeah, here we are, our yeah. unique journeys, so much to talk about. I'm like, I, I'm so sorry for that loss of your dad at the same time. And then the, the cancer diagnosis after, and that really like, that hit me because since, since having cancer, I have probably what might be considered out there views about its cause right? Right. And mm -hmm. stories about it. Um, like, yes, if we live near a lot of toxicity and radiation and pollution and we eat crap, but then also trauma, the immune system, the nervous system, and just energy. Because like, I feel that I've always felt and always known everything is energy, but really like shut off to it. And that energy then I didn't conduct it well through my body through my psyche 
and it became a problem. <laughs> As I think that's really the root of most disease. It's an energetic problem, whether the energy is coming from the outside and toxic energy or from the inside and in, in energetic emotion. Does that? Okay, I, I agree. Um, I also think though that there is um, family karma and um, layer, there's layers of the energy and it's not necessarily just something we carry, yes. but something that our line carries. And um, it's, it for me anyway, yes, it was totally like I had blocked some things that were very important to who I was. Yeah. And um, I thought I had to, I thought that that meant I was being responsible. Um, and, you know, it, it apparently had to manifest several times. And I do feel like whenever people are like, um, oh, you know, that what a horrible experience. I'm like, yes. And um, it is an amazing thing that got me to where I am. And if I hadn't had that experience, I don't know where I'd be. So uh, I'm very thankful to have had cancer, if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, it makes sense to me. It does. I see my cancer experience as something I'm very aware of uh, not wanting to waste in a way. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to miss the message. I don't want to, like, I know that it came to me for a reason, which you know, there gets like in saying that, like, that's not like a, oh, I caused it or I asked for it. Like, I don't, because I feel like people can kind of like get into like, oh, don't blame yourself. I'm like, well, I'm not, but there, this is giving me something. Like I, I'm seeing things that I didn't see before. I, and in, in seeing, and then like acting on these things, I feel freer. I feel more me. I feel lighter than I did when I was quote unquote, healthy without cancer, you know, <laughs> and maybe I'm lighter just because they took out half my organs, but. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, for me, like, um, I don't take it, like, I've never felt like, um, well, my dad, when, uh, when he got sick and my dad was, it was Christian and had a set of beliefs and he was like, you know, I don't know why God would do this. I'm not mad at God and things like that. And I was like, no, like, no. Um, I, I've never felt like it was punishment or anything like that. And like, there are some people who say some really weird things and have some really disturbing views on it being something that is punishment. Um, and that, that is concerning to me because it's not punishment. We didn't do anything wrong mm -hmm. to deserve cancer. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I think that people who have that must have like this fear, like this fear of it. I know I had a fear of it. Um, I didn't want it. Um, but at the same time, it is very much part of who I am now, but it's also not all I am. And I think that's hard for people to understand too, because people are like, well, why don't you do cancer walks? And why don't you do advocation and, you know, do all these things? And I'm like, because that's not the core of who I am. It is an experience I had and I feel no pull to stay in that world. Mm -hmm. I am very thankful for the people that do have that call, that do the research and the work and all that. That's not my call. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, that's, um, I see that and I'm aware of that in myself of, of uh, wanting to over identify with, with it because it's, it is an experience, but it's not all of my experience. Um, and there are people for whom like it becomes a, a call, a call to do something. And like, this is where they're meant to be. Um, and it, like, I, I'm with you. I feel like it's not for me either, but it's also something that I want to talk about in this way so that it can be seen that just because it happens to you doesn't mean it has to become you. Doesn't mean it has to consume you. There are so many things in my life that I think I did let consume me and I didn't even know it. And in some ways, cancer let me see that. Um, so I'd be curious to, if you would, wouldn't mind sharing a little bit more about, about your diagnosis and about that journey, like, and how, you know, was that a, your view of it now, was that the view you had when it started or how did that morph and change to carry you through to where you are with it now? So, uh, when I was diagnosed, um, it was spring of 2011. I had two small children. Um, Oliver at that point was three, I think, just turned four maybe. And Henry was not even two yet. Um, and so I had given up everything I was and everything that I thought I should be because I thought that that's what it meant when you became a mom. And I was miserable. Uh, I hated, I hated it. And I don't, it's not that I hate my children. It's not that I hate being a mom. I hated the idea that, that suddenly that's what I was and everything that I cared about before that, everything that I was before that just kind of stopped. Um, and a lot of my friends weren't, uh, we were living in an area where people that I was close to, they weren't around. The only other people I was meeting were other moms. I didn't have a lot in common with them um, in general. Um, not that they weren't good people. It's just that I just, I wasn't connecting in the way I was used to connecting to people. I had been an artist and I had stopped doing work because I didn't, I felt like it was like playing in a way. And here's the interesting thing. I think play is actually really important, <laughs> but um but I was like, what am I playing at? I'm not getting anywhere with this. Like I need to, I, I remember like not many nights before uh, the time that I went to the hospital and got diagnosed, I remember talking to friends and I was like, yeah, I think art's like masturbation. It's just like we sit around and play with these ideas and it doesn't really matter. And what's the point, right? And uh, I think like, pretty much as soon as I was diagnosed, it was like, oh, I have to get back to making art. And I joined the sketchbook project through Brooklyn um, Art Library or sketchbook library. And uh, I documented a page each month in that sketchbook for what was going on that year. And it, it really helped me. And, you know, talking about energy, the appendix is in that creative center. Uh -huh. And it's like, and it's this weird little organ that like has its own like prehistoric kind of function, you know? And, and I had a doctor say to me, there's really no point to the appendix. And you said right before that, what's the point of art? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> I felt very much like almost immediately after that I was like, okay, like I've been ignoring this and I, this is, I've got to get back to doing it. And then with, then my dad passed and I, you know, I was back to doing the art, but I wasn't speaking about it. I wasn't saying what my feelings were. I was pretty much spending a lot of time alone and quiet and reflecting and, and working. Um, but not connecting with other people about it. And, you know, the thyroid is in the throat center. Uh That's like, um, maybe you should actually process because the thyroid processes and like deals with when we take things in, how we, how it penetrates and uses nourishment in your body. It metabolizes things. I obviously wasn't metabolizing what I was doing and I wasn't speaking it. Uh Um, so I realized then that I had to get back to teaching and Uh get back to like sharing why art was important and giving it to others and, and not just art, but like symbolic thinking and, and the spiritual aspects connected to it, at least for me personally. And so I went back to teaching and when we moved here, um, and then I got skin cancer, um, uh, on my wrist. And then I also got it on my face over here. Um, and for me, that's been like, okay, you got to let go of what it looks like, look what the outside is. So I feel like cancer is just like, in case you forgot this, and <laughs> here's this one. And by the way, you got to do this too. And, you know, I, I'm hoping that's it. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I feel like they've gotten like more manageable each time. Like appendix cancer, as you well know, is very hard. Um, And I don't know where, I don't know if you had, what all you had removed, but you know, I had my ovaries, tubes, omentum, scraping of the diaphragm. um, And it's a shadow that stays with you because it can come back whenever, you know? So whereas thyroid cancer and skin cancer, like skin cancer stays with me too. I have to always be on the lookout. Thyroid, you know, they, they took it out. It's probably fine. Mm-hmm. But go ahead. I was just going to say, but like, you know, once you have that, that with you, there's this other awareness about how life is short and I need to take whatever opportunity I have to connect in the ways that I can and offer whatever I have to offer. And I don't, I think that we have no idea what that is, right? Like I can be like, well, I think I'm offering art teaching Mm -hmm. and um, you know, and yet that I know well that that is not necessarily what my students take away from my classes. So. Yeah. Yeah. It's what we think we offer, but it's really up to the receiver to decide what they're receiving to, to make of it what they will. And that's mm-hmm. something I, I think I learned from an art teacher, probably an art. I have a friend that's an art teacher. I think she said something along those lines and it was just like this. Oh, like, okay. And, and that realization opened up so much for me in life. Um, but just, I had chills while you were telling your story um, and the meaning that you have made of, of all the, the turns, um, you know, like the, the skin cancer, the thyroid cancer and 
um, that shadow of the appendix cancer kind of being like really big. Um, I had, my surgery was 13 and a half hours. I um, had, I lost my gallbladder and my spleen, ovaries, tubes, uterus, cervix, had my diaphragm scraped, part of it removed, part of the liver, part of the stomach, 23 inches of small intestine, my part of my colon, like I, I basically lost as much as you can lose almost. I mean, people end up losing more, right? Like people end right. up losing parts of like their, uh, like, like kidneys and, mm-hmm. uh, oh, I also like I lost the o- omentum. Um, so it was just like, oh, and of course the appendix, which I always forget, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> obviously, but um, it is like, it's just so always there and so little that they know about it still. Um, and it's, uh, I, I don't know, I'm only a year and a half out, um, not even two years. So I, I'm hoping that this uh, gets a little bit easier um, with it. I didn't lose uh, any of my intestines. Um, they couldn't take my uterus, uh, because of scar tissue from C-sections, like it would have complicated the surgery immensely. So my biggest fear is with that staying in. Um, but I will say, it seems like you're doing great for a year and a half with all that. Like, I mean, um, I'm next, next year will be a decade for me. Um, and it's gotten easier for sure. Yeah. Good. And it's, I mean, each day is its own thing, you know, and I don't know about you, but anytime I have any little pain, I'm like, okay. Uh (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I feel like, uh, I'm, I'm there right now. I had a lot of, um, numbness after my surgery and I've gained feeling and I'm working with a somatic therapist right now who's like, that's good that you have feeling like they did a lot there. If you didn't feel anything, we'd be more concerned, you know? So like, it could be scar tissue, like, but my mind wants to go to fear. And I also having this other view of the cancer as sort of a, um, for me, it was, uh, it was, it was me not creating what I wanted in my life, me not not expressing myself, not really letting myself be free and be who I was and instead being everything I thought the outside world wanted me to be. And I was actually misdiagnosed with ovarian cancer. I thought I was pregnant because I was missing my period. Um, And I feel like I, I had an acupuncturist who told me that I needed to create something. I needed to create some kind of movement of who I am in this world, whether that was to have a baby or start a business or something. <laughs> it was mm-hmm. like, get out, have sex, move that energy, you know, do that. Or he's like, I fear you're going to get cancer. And then here I was with cancer and I was like, oh my gosh. Um, and I've, yeah, I've had it removed, but now going through what I went through with my dad, I kind of like was thrown back into some patterns and back into a stagnation where I'm not really creating. And I haven't been taking care of myself in the way that 
cancer asks us to like, I'm not sure if this is what you meant in your last podcast when you spoke of uh, negotiating with the dragon and like, you know, I kind of had this image of, yeah, the dragon's like, Hey, stop eating potato chips to deal with your emotions. Like that's what my dragon would say to me, you know, like. My dragon doesn't say that because I was a vegetarian for nine years and had been super (laughs) healthy. And actually now it's really weird. I, um, I don't worry about that part at all. So it's funny, dragons say different things because I'm like, you know, I was healthy. I was like so healthy. I've never smoked. I don't, you know, I don't, I'm, I'm fairly active. I was a vet, like I was a vegetarian. I was very cautious and now I eat pizza and I do whatever I want. (laughs) Um, but my dragon negotiating for me, and I don't live, I didn't say this. I'll just say this. And I think we can have a conversation about this too. The fight words around cancer. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do that. And it was, it's very, I think those fight words are for everybody around you to feel like they can do something. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think it's for the patient. It's not for the, the person going through it. And I think when we identify with that, um, the fight part, you're fighting yourself. I mean, it literally right. is part of yourself that turned against you a little bit, or is it like at least pushing you a little bit? And for me, um, I, I, I felt it was more of a negotiation. And I, I said that in my like own personal mythology, it's like, okay, I have to let this dragon in. It's already in the house. We need to come into a room together and have a conversation and have to sit down and have some tea and we'll see what we can come to. For me, it is that energy though. It's like, it wants me to produce and create and bring creativity forward. And if I stop that work, then I'm not living up to my end of the negotiation. Mm-hmm. So whether it's the podcast or painting or teaching art or doing creative consulting with other people or reading tarot or whatever it is, um, I have to be doing that. Or it's like the dragon is like, <laughs> and for the past seven years, I was teaching at a school where we were the dragons. Mm. Um, I've, you know, and it's like, okay, I'm here, I'm doing the work, teaching art, you know, I'm doing, I'm doing the work. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it's, that's my relationship to my dragon. It's like, mm-hmm. I'm doing the work. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I think it's, it, very different but the same like in our view of of this um and how the cancer has come to us and what it's like asking of us um I have a a, kind of a similar story with dragons and I didn't necessarily associate my cancer with the dragon definitely the cancer with like this call to creativity call to like really express who I am and for me, like I stuffed down who I was with food. And so like, it was really, you know, we all have our different things. Like I did smoke, I did do things. I did those things though, to escape the feelings that could actually, that are me, the feelings that are me. And so to keep going to those is like not keeping up my end of the bargain with Mm -hmm. what this is meant to teach me. Um, and so, because I know I've been kind of, I've been slacking on that and I went and that's fine. That's okay. Right. Like I, 
I, I can judge myself harshly. So this is a message for me, you know? Um, but like, well, I haven't, like, I don't, I, so I have a little bit of fear of it coming back. I have a little bit of fear of the dragon and I don't want to fight it. I want to respect it. And that, that fight thing for me was a big deal when I was dying. I was like, Oh, fuck cancer. Pardon my language. Um, (laughs) um, and you've got to fight it. And I was like, this is my tumor baby. Like, look, I, cause I had the whole belly. I was very bloated and pregnant looking. And I was like, I made this, I made this just like, you know, some of you have children and I didn't choose this, but in, in some way, I believe that the creative energy that was within me needed to go somewhere. And if I wasn't going to take care of it by creating the life that I wanted or by reproducing in the way that nature calls us to and having a place to then put that feeling forward into the world, it was going to go somewhere. And this is what I made. So what am I, how am I going to care for it? How am I going to let it go with love out of me, <laughs> you know, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to keep it, but like, I also like, I made that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it, it is, it's part of us. And so that, that idea that, um, that it is like, fight it, kill it, hate it. You know, it is so, um, our culture to do that. You know, mm-hmm. it's so like, it's something that is seen as bad. And I will tell, like, whenever, I don't know if this has happened to you yet, but when other people know other people who have cancer, they like want to introduce you or they're like, oh, my friend got cancer. Can they talk to you? And I'm like, they might not like what I say uh-huh. because I'm going to say, enjoy this. And I know that sounds crazy. And I'm going to say it's here for you, mm-hmm. not against you. Um, and maybe some people really do feel that experience. That's not my experience. You know, I had a friend who, uh, her husband got, uh, cancer and she's like, will you talk to him? And I was like, okay, but like, I'm going to warn you, he won't like what I say. And, uh, my message was, okay, well, you just need to get really comfortable with the fact that you're going to die. Yeah. And it's, And he's like, what do you mean? You think I'm going to die? And I'm like, well, we all do. Uh And if you can't, this is your opportunity right now to embrace that and understand your mortality and stop being afraid of it. And if you can do that, whatever happens will be okay. Uh And, um, you know, I think after I spoke with him, she was like, oh my God, what did you say to him? He's like, so messed up now and I was like I'm sorry I I told you you know like but it is it's like I don't know uh, what what did what did you do what do you do in your life I don't know like what was your career what do you oh oh, well when I started feeling sick when I was getting the pains um, I was working in the defense industry as an executive assistant and very much just like not aligned with what I believed I was very stressed out uh highly sensitive being in this very rigid, energetically, uh, like, ugh, environment. And um, I left that in 2015. I did some copywriting work, personal assistant work for like spiritual entrepreneurs. 
didn't really know what I wanted to do. And really for the last five years, I've been kind of like trying a little this, trying a little that. I worked at Trader Joe's and then I was diagnosed. And now um, I went back to work, you know, they gave me like four months to heal, four months to heal from that crazy surgery. I threw myself back into work and then I started like feeling like, gosh, I'm just way too stressed. And then coronavirus came in. And when coronavirus came in, I was like, okay, I can go out on medical leave. I'll get unemployment. I'm going to take this opportunity to really dive into my healing. And so that's what I've been doing, diving into my healing, getting more comfortable with expression, figuring out what is my unique purpose in the world? What is it that I am here to really create? And um, I'm, I'm working on that right now. I, I had have you heard of Slackline? I've, I've listened to some of your podcasts. So okay. okay. I know what Slackline is. <laughs> so that's, that's my deal using the Slackline to get in touch with the nervous system and to generate healing and empowerment and use it as a tool for self-discovery. And nobody else that I know of is doing this. And I used to feel really like, oh my gosh, I do this like weird thing. And now I'm like, I'm a pioneer. Yeah, I am putting this together, teaching. I had a workshop last weekend and I, before I even had someone on the line, she was already experiencing openings in her body and I could see her energy shifting. And then getting her on the line was like the next level that it, yeah. I'm, so I'm, I'm becoming right now. That's what I understand. <laughs> what that. Doing. Here's an interesting Long fact. Answer. The night before we talked about having this meetup, I had a dream that um, I was presented with two tightropes, slack lines, whatever you want to call them. One was like the kind that you do, like kind of low to the ground and like a line. And the other one was like a chain link rope and that you had to do it differently. Like you had to put mm-hmm. your feet in it in a different way. Yeah. And then when we started talking, I was like, I wonder if that was like my unconscious saying, oh, you're going to talk to this girl. Wow. <laughs> you're tuned in. <laughs> no, you know, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I feel very lucky because I got to grow up knowing that I should be. I, yeah. So when you mentioned that your grandmother was a fortune teller, I was just like, Oh my gosh, I want to know more about this because you had someone in your family who, who could tell you that. And before you dive into that, I found out recently that my grandmother is very much a believer of everything's energy, but I grew up seeing her go to church and they sent me to church when I had like my existential crisis when I was 12. I had no idea. I had no idea. I'm like, where was this guidance? So what was that like? So um, my mom's side of the family is Romney. Um, uh, That's Romney gypsy. Uh Um, And so I, I grew up with that being just normal. Although my grandmother left the tribe in a way. Um, but, but she, uh, you know, ran her own business that was in my backyard, like her house, my house was on one side of the block and her house was on the other. And, you know, I was the, I was there, like when the customers would come and like, she was in the room with somebody, I would entertain the other customers. And, um, you know, so for me, like, it was just part of life, but at the same time, because of the culture and the time, um, my grandmother was quote unquote Christian, Um, although she didn't go to church, um, and I found out later it was because like, she kind of wasn't welcome. Um, Mm -hmm. but in the, 
in the Romney culture, like whenever they moved around, like historically, they would just take on the religion of whatever culture they were in because it was all the same thing. So it didn't matter. <laughs> so, um, which is a very helpful way, in my opinion, to think about it. Like it's all the same thing. You just have to find your own, how you interpret the language. Right. Right. Um, and I grew up with like, yeah, you listen to your feelings. You listen to that emotion, like pay attention when you're scared. There's a reason when you're, when these feelings come up, why you're having them. Um, I, I don't, a lot of people think that that, like when I say that I grew up with that, that they think of like this, like table with candles and herbs and woo. And I'm like, it wasn't really like that. It was much more like Tupperware and normal and like, um, but I was also not discouraged when I did want to explore those things. Uh, my mom would take me to the new age bookshops back in the eighties and, and like, be like, okay, we'll pick out something you want, you know, like, um, so it was not foreign to me, but with that said, the culture that I grew up in was very oppressive, fundamental Christian. Uh-huh. So most of my friends and stuff grew up going to this, what in my opinion is a cult. Um, and, uh, it was a, it was a different experience of kind of going, oh, like you, you think this is like, they're going to go to hell and this is bad. And like, I'm like, oh, this is like a totally different mindset than what I feel, think, and believe. Uh, so I ran as fast as I could when I got old enough to leave. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, you know, do you know who Carolyn Mace is? Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, she says the thing, she's like, I don't want to hear anybody say that your grandmother was a Cherokee Indian or that you were this, that, and the other, because you have it, you have it in you and you don't need to like have this other thing ascribed. But the thing is, I, I do think that I got a heads up, not in the fact that not everybody has it, we all have it, but no one told me I didn't. Right. And so I got lucky in the fact that I grew up accepting all the things that were weird and I'm like yeah this feels wrong we got to go and people are like what are you talking about I'm like this person's not okay to be around don't you feel that and it's always served me well that's yeah the um what you said there about we all have it but then there's that advantage of knowing that you have it and knowing that it's okay to have it and relating to like my experience, I, that was not okay to have. It was not okay to feel. I grew up in an alcoholic household. And so I was feeling, and I'd be like, this is not right. This is not okay. And then I get told everything's fine. Everything's fine. And I was like, wait, what? So I just learned so to just turn it off and to not feel and to numb. And then when I came upon it. I, I got out as soon as I could because I knew that something was not right and I didn't want to be like everyone else. And I moved to California. Um, and eventually, you know, it's like, I'm, I met the, the burning man kind of community out here, the real, you know, uh, spiritual people getting into psychedelics, really expressive. And I was so, the first time I met them, the first year I moved out here, I was at a party and there was a woman who was telling me about some piercings she had and how I would really enjoy it. And I was like, uh, and people are like getting latex body painted and drum circles. And I was like, this is, I can't, you know? And then like 
10 years later, I came upon it again. And I was like, wow, these people are really like enjoying themselves and like being who they want to be. And I'm like, tell me more. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then I got into it and it was like people who, yeah, there was stuff that I could have just like, I'm like, well, that's, you know, out there to me because it's expressed in a way that I wasn't ever used to seeing, but then like getting into like, it's okay to feel like you're what you feel. You can let it come through and people who believed in energies and, and intuition and all this language that I was just like, Oh, this is real. Like this explains something that I knew deep inside but I like had to shut off to survive and to fit in and to be the good student and to be the, you know, have the job and, and all of that, that I thought I was supposed to do. Um, that I just, yeah, I, I didn't have that, like kind of what you were saying you had of like, yeah, it's okay. Like if you walk into a place and you have a feeling your body knows something you're what you know whatever it is wherever you want to locate the intuition like there's mm-hmm. something to it um so anyway that was a little bit about like the world that I entered to to help me understand that and uh I'm still figuring it out I'm still exploring yeah I mean I think, I think if we're not figuring something out then there's something wrong yeah like I think we we, we should always be like oh this is new and different and I need to think about this and work with this and feel this and have this. Um, this idea that our culture has that you grow up and you go to school and you get a degree and you get a job and you're done mm-hmm. is not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it is detrimental. Um, one of the things I was talking to a friend of mine recently, and one of the things that we were discussing is this idea of like, I taught middle school before. Okay. So you know, in, in middle school, think back to that horrible period of your life. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but that you get, you leave this innocence of childhood and in childhood, like all that magical thinking is there. Right. And like, you have this natural relationship and you do trust yourself because there's, you don't know that you can't and like all this, and then these hormones come in and they flood your body and they change everything about the way you think and you are suddenly pulled into achievement for the culture rather than for yourself mm-hmm. and then hit middle age have your ovaries removed things like that and all of those hormones are gone again and the relationship you have to build now is back with that the you that you know about but don't really remember and have to connect to again and I feel like there's this relationship there of like, it's like taking the veil back off, but then it's also like reorienting yourself because you've been used to the system working in this way that's achievement oriented and like set a goal and do this and move towards that. And this is what that is. And coming out of that relationship and back into the natural instinctive, like I trust my instincts and my gut and yes, I said I was going to do this today, but that doesn't feel like the right thing for me to do. You know, when you were a 10 year old, you'd have never beat yourself up about that. Uh 
you know, but now that we're an adult and we think we have to do this, you know, we have to set this and do this and have that. It's a, and it's important. Like, I don't think like as a mother and as a teacher, children need that structure and they need to know that that's possible, but like, it's like muscle memory, right? Like once you've learned to ride the bike and things like that, you know how to do it. And you don't have to always be like focused on it, mm-hmm. but it's hard to remember that. It's hard to remember that it's a natural inclination and that when I leave, and I, I don't know, like maybe it's not middle age, maybe it's not losing the hormones, but I noticed for me, it was at that point. I, I feel like um, that you're pointing that out was a really interesting correlation to me in a, you know, uh, I've kind of in a way uh, painted our culture as like the cage that creates that of like, we're moving from um, our, a natural state into one where it is achievement oriented, structured, you should, should be doing this, should be doing that. Um, but also I guess biology does play into it as well. The fact that, well, you're mature enough now to have a family, to raise children. And so this is like, the the focus shifts to less of the the uh internally driven connection to a relational connection and then with you know for women menopause that would then shift back and i don't have children um so i don't have that uh same lens to look at it through but it does make sense to me so i think there's a little bit of like both going on and when you were talking about childhood and having that natural connection, I can't remember having, I, I don't remember having a lot of that naturally. Um, the way I grew up, it was like, I grew up fast, you know? And uh, so for me, the discovery of it started to come a little bit before, but I still ended up losing my ovaries. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Same, same for me in a way. Um, I, I do. Th- I think that there is a biological component though. Yeah. Um, there, in, I believe in that whole concept of it's always both. It's never one or the other. It's always both. And both hands. So, yeah. So, yeah. So the, the idea that um, culture definitely influences it. And I think it can do it better than it does. Our culture does a really bad job of like, helping people go through the process of transitions in development. We just are not good at it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I also think that it is natural. It is, a, it's part of our cycle here mm-hmm. to have to let go of the magical thinking of childhood a little bit because of like, you have to root in and ground into the physical and the reality that is here. Mm -hmm. Uh, in a way and if our body didn't give us the instinct to do that it would probably be harder I mean I know people that might not have ever gotten that instinct and they definitely have a harder time right so that's cool that makes sense I appreciate you bringing that up um I wanted to talk about um a couple of things that were mentioned in, in the podcast, because I realized we've, I kind of glanced at the clock here. We've been going for almost an hour, hard to believe. <laughs> okay. um, um, first of all, I want to thank you because your podcast, I love it so much. Like it's so 
beautifully spoken, put together, like you tell stories so well. And um, I also want to give myself credit for listening to it and not being put off by the fact that like, you're an artist. And I, in the past, I would have told myself like, well, you're not an artist, you know, why would you listen to this art podcast that's for artists? And I've come to realize that really I am. My art might not be like, you know, of the drawing type, or I might not be uh, writing beautiful novels right now. <laughs> but like yeah. expression, I think, is, is our art. It's the, cre- this is my creativity. And so I, especially through the podcast about process you really helped me open up to just letting whatever it is that needs to come out and that I want to share be enough of for me and then if it's enough for me it'll be enough for someone else if they want to consume it it's also not my you know people get to think of it what they want to think of it um and it was just so freeing. So that has helped shape this conversation here today um, and the last few podcasts that I've released and just how I'm even going about building out this teaching of how I want to teach my slackline because that that's also art in a way, I think. It totally is. It's a physical art. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the word art um people mistake what it means. Mm-hmm. And um, they, I have a friend who's a yoga instructor and she says the same thing about yoga. She's like, well, people think yoga is a physical practice. Mm-hmm. And she's like, yoga is like all encompassing. And I'm like, art is too, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And people think art means that you make a product, but it's how we live. It's our vehicle for expression in this world. And that's, we all have to find what our art is. And unfortunately it has been limited to people thinking that it means that you paint or make something or write a book or whatever, but it can be so, it can be anything. And if you don't have something that you're calling your art, I think you need to re-examine that. Like, I think people need to find out what their art is. And it'll give you so much more meaning in your life. And you get to see what, however you interact with that, like how you interact with your slack line is how you develop spiritual understanding. And if you don't have a thing that you're using that mirrors it here uh, in the physical, it, you won't get very far. And, And that's just my personal belief. Can you say a little bit more about that? (laughs) Um, I don't know how to, how to start saying something more about it. Like, well, I guess, you know, I, I'm thinking about that. Like, how is my, how is my slack line something that helps me develop my spiritual belief? Right. Like, that's what you're saying. Like this Mm -hmm. thing is your channel for your spiritual relationship. So like, I understand that for me in the slack line, because it's, it's a system of energy. There's tension in it. I can feel my energy in it. I can get into a flow. I understand that because like, I feel it. And so like, how does that come through for like, if you're drawing or how might it come through if your art, what if your art is something that's less, um, 
I don't know. What, what if your art, give, give me an example that seems like un- noodling. Noodling um, or what if it's like more mundane even like, well, um, okay. but no matter what, okay. You know, that whole 10,000 hour thing, right? Yeah. That, the more time you put into something, the more you get. So by channeling your energy into your slack line, for example, like you understand the basis of why you would understand spiritual development through that. The more time you spend with it though, the more you, the more it opens to you. Mm -hmm. Right. So for every, and it, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, so for me, like I I'm a visual artist and it, it doesn't matter whether I'm painting or drawing or whatever, the relationship that I'm having between the materials and Here's the thing that I've learned, and I think it's probably the same for Slackline. I have to get out of the way. Yes. And the, the, any part of me that is thinking just fucks it up, mm-hmm. my language. But if the, the thinking self is like trying to correct and fix things and do things, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that is the same in anything that we are working on that is the channel for our spirit. You have to like, let the ego move aside, let the thinking self move aside and the spirit guides the process. And the, the more you do the process, the more comfortable your spirit is with you and having communication with you. Mm. And then do you feel it, that comes through in other parts of life then? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So yeah, I I get it. And I, I think that it's like, I feel that on the slack line, if my head is there, if I go in and I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that instead of just really being with like, well, this is where my body's at right now. And this is where the line's at. And this is how we're going. And this is now I'm really paying attention to what's happening and what I'm feeling. Then I know how to really, I, I, I start to shift, everything starts to shift and there's less tension. There's less, uh, resistance. There's, there's an opening, there's an opening. Mm -hmm. Um, and then for me, that does have implications for the rest of my day, the rest of my life, you know, and I could see that with like, like, I also like to cook, you know, and I feel like that's a little bit spiritual. And if I was in my head and not paying attention, I could like lose a finger or <laughs> not see that the onions are burning. Or put um, salt instead of sugar or something. Yeah. Yeah. So you really have to get out of your way and like be with, be with what is there. Um, and I also think like each, um, hour, month, year, we put into that practice, you can see your own development. And it is that whole concept of process, that whole concept of like, if I, if I can step back from this moment and realize that this moment is connected to all the other moments that got me to this place, then you get to have this understanding of transformation in this ongoing process. And People who don't pick a vehicle don't have anything that they get to witness that process through. Mm. And I think, so when people are like, oh, I don't, I don't do anything like that. Or, oh, I don't have that. And I'm like, Ooh, well, I, I don't know what to say. Um, And it's, it's almost like, it's not like 
pity or anything like that, but I'm just like, wow, like you're missing an opportunity to connect in a way. And it doesn't, it, for me, like people are like, I don't draw, I don't do that. It's like, whatever. And I'm like, you don't have to draw. Like it could be like anything. It could be trimming hedges mm-hmm. and it could be your thing. And you'd learn like what tools work with the hedges the best. And you build this relationship between you and that process. It doesn't matter what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if you don't have something that you do consistency, do consistently over a long period of time, you don't get to see the transformational process, mm-hmm. at least in my opinion. Uh, I that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, and as someone who I felt I, I I was one of those people who like didn't have a thing, didn't really know what I did, didn't have anything that I'd been doing consistently. A lot out of um, fear and depression. I mean, I was depressed. I look back and I see how depressed that I was um, and how much I was numbing and avoiding feeling. And so like, I just, you know, like, what was the point? Um, And I don't know, like, I feel like Slackline chose me, honestly, and I've been doing it for six years and it just, I'm, I'm, I do, I can look back and I can see that and I can feel that. And I can see how, even though, I I was just telling the workshop I did on this. I was like, I've been doing it for six years and I still like, I'm not one of those people that walks canyons or does tricks on it or things like that. I've done other things and I've explored and it's allowed me to take it places, but I didn't have to, I didn't have to become super badass at it for it to be a thing that's very meaningful and spiritual and to see transformation in it. So you said a couple of things there that I want to point out. Please. You said, I don't feel like it chose, I don't feel like I chose it. It chose me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's so important because I don't think we do choose it. Yeah. I think it does choose us. And it, it's like, it's almost like a thing that's like up walking around and it like, it's like fee fi fo fum, you know, and it wants to find you. And when it does, you have an opportunity to be like, well, are you going to give me the goose that lays the golden eggs or you run from it? Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that if you want the goose, you have, again, it's like making a relationship to that dragon. You have to overcome the fear of, the performance anxiety, the I can't do this right, the like, I'm not good at anything. And if you let go of that and make a relationship to this thing that scares you, you get the treasure, you get it. Like, and it may not be you doing tricks over a canyon. The treasure happens internally. And that's been something that I've had to like, kind of come to terms with because like, like I said, I was a teacher before and now I'm like, okay, what am I going to be? You know, and I, I sell art occasionally. I have local shows occasionally. I'm not like some guru, like major painter artist, but it gives me all the golden eggs and it may never result in me being uh, like super wealthy, but the wealth is not like this external thing Mm -hmm. it's this thing that happens in me and 
I struggle because I'm like, yeah, I, I want to teach these classes and have these artist groups and do these things. And it, it's this like, but how much of it is for them and how much of it is for me? And how do I help them find their giant that needs to give them the goose? Cause I don't have their goose. <laughs> so, and I know that all sounds weird, but no. um, it, it's like, yeah, I can help you like find a rhythm in your creative practice. I can give you some guidelines. I can help you um, connect to some of your, your, your work. Um, but until you find your giant, until you're willing to face your scary thing, and until you're willing to let go of wealth being something that is um, the society deems is worthy, that is valuable, there's a, there's, I can't help you. Uh-huh. And so it's been like, and as a teacher in a public school, I'm never going to, I was never going to make any money and it didn't matter. And now I'm not a teacher and I'm not even getting that money. And so now I've got to be like, okay, now I got to think about what, what that means and what that energy exchange is and how that happens. And that's a completely new world, but it's okay. I'll figure it out at some point. (laughs) Yeah. I, I mean, you're, you're, you're doing it. You, you're in it. So that's, (laughs) um, and I think there's so much value in what you do. And you said something about how much, how much are you getting versus like how much a student is getting. And I think there's this idea that I know that I have held that, um, when I'm sharing this thing that I share, like when I'm teaching the slack line, that it's like me giving. Um, and I had a, a student say like, oh my gosh, like you're just like, you have all this wisdom. Like, I'm just, I wish I could take it all in, like taking it all in. And I'm like, and I want you to understand that watching you, guiding you through this experience, I feel the same way. It's, it's going this way you know, yes, yes, she, she paid me monetarily to hold the space for that. But the, like the real, like, like energetic exchange, it's like, it's so, so big for me too. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And that's why like, it's been this shift for me because like getting to go to my classroom every day and be there and watch the students evolve. Like I, you know, a lot of them I'd work with for three years and I'd get to see this development from a very childish um, expression into a much more mature, skillful expression. And it is, it's like, it feeds you and it makes you want to continue to do well so that you can provide that for the other. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's like, there's this natural, um, both parties can learn from it. Right. I think our culture has set, set this, I don't know if you feel this way, but like right now, I feel like everybody thinks they're a guru and I, I, a lot of the languaging and messaging and marketing and things like that that are out there right now, I think are very um, soul stealing from others. Uh, and, and that's what I really like, I don't want to be part of. And so it's like hard to find where my engagement level is because I'm used to just going into a room and making connection and, and it's normal. And now, um, now there's this like, well, I have this thing to offer and I know it's valuable, um, but there's this weird thing there that like, 
I don't know. I've just got to work with that and figure out my relationship to it. The weird thing of like standing up on the internet and like saying, Hey, I have this thing like that. Is that kind of it? And not saying like, I, I am the artist that can show you how to be the best artist ever. Like, yeah, like that, like, it's like, um, it's so much more subtle, you know? And I'm like, I, I, I'm like, yeah, I have this thing and I, I want to talk to you about it. And I don't want to talk to 400 people about it. I want to talk to like 10, you know, yeah. like, and I don't. And so like, when you were saying, I don't do tricks over a Canyon and I don't, you know, need to do these things. I'm like, exactly. Like, I don't need it to be this thing. I just, I need to know that I'm, I'm providing it. I'm offering it. I just want to offer it. And I want there to be an exchange that's natural. And I don't want it to be this dirty algorithm chasing weird crap that our culture is trying to turn it into. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, f- I feel you there. I mean, hence <laughs> this, like, I'm just having conversations. We're talking about stuff. There's no agenda. Like, I, this is what we do. This is who I am. This is, you know, these are Mm -hmm. our stories because that has been really what has allowed me to transform and explore who I am is hearing other people's stories. Like you said, I can't tell a person what their art is. I can't find their goose. Like they've got to find that. And I, I don't feel like, you know, nobody said, Hey, here's your goose, you know, but I listened to other people's stories. I saw what they were doing. I just like learned from them and eventually it showed up because I started showing up and other people showing up as they are allowed me to show up and then find that thing. And so I think that that is one of the biggest gifts, no matter what our craft is, no matter what it is that we do, that's what we can give the world. Yes. <laughs> it's just, yes. there's some quote that says that too, right? The, I, I don't know. I, I love quotes, I'm but sure I, I forget them all. So <laughs> me too. I remember them for 10 minutes and then I forget them. Yeah. I, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I have a, a notebook here that like, I have like a bunch of notes from your last podcast because you said so many things that I was just like yes 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 and I'm like I know I won't remember it because I do the same thing I, I keep one and whenever I'm like I, I know that you do you did like shower thoughts I'm like I, I leave this in the bathroom a lot of the time because I'm like as soon as I'm out of the shower I have to write it down yeah. or like whatever <laughs> if you don't and it goes it goes away yeah like and you know I think that's the other thing like um I, I I do a lot of like research for the podcast sometimes, like um, usually about the art history, like I'll get an idea and then I'm like, okay, I know I want to talk about this. I just have to go find the thing that lets me talk about it. Um, and so, uh, but it, it's interesting because it, like people are like, oh, you must know all this stuff about like this, that, and the other. And I'm like, no, um, I, I know what I want to share. And then I have to find other ways that I can do it. And so then I have to go searching for the artist who's already done that or the the musician who played the song that's like this or whatever, because there's nothing new here. There's nothing new here. We're all exploring it for ourselves and the newness comes through our relationship to it, but there's nothing new here. And when we do get to hear each other's stories, that, that gives us insight into things that like, 
now I've got a better idea of the lay of the land because of the way you talk about what you do with your slack line and how you have relationship to that and the energy that you experience and the tension and things there. I haven't done that. I wouldn't know that if mm-hmm. you didn't talk about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We, we get to understand how other people experience the world that gives us a depth of understanding of how we experience the world. And then I think too, there's something about like, like your, your craft as an artist in the visual arts is well-practiced and then going out and having experiences that are outside of the craft to help keep the fire alive within the craft. Because that's something that I, I kind of want the slack line to be. I see it as being a, um, what, a space for like entrepreneurs to, to work things out, like people who are in their businesses, because it can help them literally step into something new and to get into that like beginner's mindset. And I think that that's kind of people use art in that way, too, like, oh, I'm going to start drawing and doodling and getting into that space. Or maybe I'm going to go and hop on a potter's wheel and have this session um, to just kind of like explore a new relationship and a new way of being. Um, it's a, it's a, all of these things are way, new ways to intake information. And it asks us, it's not a fact. And like, that's, that's the thing like air culture craves fact and knowing certainty and knowings and yeah and there's no such thing and we're seeing that right now um but but our relationship to the experience is the learning and is the knowing and if we don't get an opportunity to have that like it, it's like i don't know i feel like the 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 more that we have those experiences and new opportunities to take in information and experience and process, it's like the more we get to like, it's like sustenance and like we get energy and we can move more fluidly and better. Right. Mm -hmm. Versus, you know, somebody who doesn't, and it's like hunger and starving and nothing to process and nothing to develop from us. Right. Yeah. It's more, I like the nu- nutrition analogy. Um, and I was thinking of like, it's more material for us to, to show up, which is, you know, it, what we take in, the experiences that we have are nourishing what we are in our life. Like it's shaping us in, in yeah. some way. And if we're not doing anything, I'm, we're stuck, stagnant. Or if you only or- intake. You know, there are a lot of people who only intake and they never, Mm -hmm. they never allow it to process and come back out. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the other problem, you know, either you're there, there's like, I'll take in experiences, but I hoard them and nothing comes from it. Or I don't have any experiences and I'm just going to stay static in this. And it's like, no, there has to be that movement, that flow, that energy. And Mm. It, it goes back to that having a vehicle, having a craft or a process that lets us do it. And I don't know, I feel like our culture, the, the whole thing has been, well, all you need to do is find a way to make money. And, um, and that m- they're, they're transferring the energy into the money. And it's like how the money flows is, is 
how you get things, but most of the money is hoarded by a certain percentage of the culture. And therefore you're always chasing something that you can't actually like fully haven't been able to fully connect with. And there's just this weird, there's this other energy, like, yeah, I know all the like languaging around scarcity and wealth and all, I know all of that, but there's this whole other thing. Like I I'm like, there's a separate energy line that, that runs alongside that one. And I don't know, I just feel like our, our culture's only been focused on the financial aspects. Um, mm-hmm. And we haven't been able to teach people that it's not just that there's so much more. There's so much more. And our education system is set up to not help people find that either. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's so much more and that, so the, the two lines that you're talking about, like the, there's the, well, there's the money, like the money, money. And then there's mm-hmm. actually like, is that other line, like the, the actual value that you're describing? I'm it's like that personal wealth. It's like that, you know, like, and like, I the, do think that, they, I think they do this probably where, um, and you know, I'm like waving my hands across each other. Uh, Cause we're on a podcast and like, you can't necessarily see that. But like, I, I think that if you're, if you're growing your own internal, like wealth and energy exchange that happens in, in the environment around you, then there is a flow of the other. Right. Um, but we've only, if, if we only teach people to chase the, the money, they don't know to do the other. Right, right. And in only chasing the money, uh, I, I feel like it's, um, it's, it's trying to find fulfillment uh, or to fill a hole, like a hunger that's going to be there. And we can amass, I think that's why so many people have so much of the money because they figured out how to get the money and they don't know how to fill the other hole that is there within them that could be filled through other things. I I don't know, you know, maybe it's personal relationships or whatever, but like kind of not learning that we're like multi-dimensional. And so that Mm -hmm. wealth is not just money. Wealth is the quality of our relationships, I think, to the quality of the relationship to ourself at the foundation, and then how that comes out into um, the world around us through our mm-hmm. art, our spiritual, and then our, our personal. Yeah, you said two things there that I think are big. Um, number one, yeah, like a lot of people that have all the wealth, like may not have the other thing, but you'll notice that a lot of them at a certain point are like, oh my gosh, I just have to give all this away. I need to start a philanthropic organization. I, I've got all this stuff and I don't know what to do with it, right? And the ones who don't become like damaged individuals. Um, but, uh, and then you said multidimensional, right? Like it, with that we are these multidimensional things. And I think like, this is just like an idea I've been playing with in my head a lot. Um, you're a dimension and I'm a dimension. And these other people that we meet in our lives are dimension. And if you don't know how to make connection to all of them, then you don't get to have a multidimensional experience. And if we're, if we're like, if we get all the money and we remove ourselves from the the experience of connecting with the others and building those relationships, then the dimensions kind of flatten. 
Um, so I don't know. I, I feel like it, it, I know, like I said, I know all the languaging and stuff around like you can have the wealth and you can have, yes, I hear you. And that's great. But why do you want it? You know, like, why do you want it? And what is it going to do for you when you have it? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and I just think about kids at school. Cause that's where my relationship, most of my relationship is, is like with 13 year olds, um, mostly for the past seven years. And they all think a lot about, well, school's not teaching me how I'm going to like do my taxes and make this and do that and do this. And I'm like, I hear you. But if that's all we did teach you, you'd never do anything but work for that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't think there's enough not teaching that. I think we need to be doing a lot more of teaching kids to find what makes them feel alive, regardless of whether it's going to make them, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year or not. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you feel as a, someone who's, who's been in the teaching profession that, and you're in the arts, so, so maybe there's this there, but I feel like in my education and what I see, it was, it was facts, not feelings, your feelings, even my, in my education, feelings didn't matter. I don't know if I had any teachers who really, I had one, maybe my third grade teacher, Mrs. Buschenek, if you're listening, you're the best. <laughs> um, but like, who really like cared, like what are you interested in what makes you feel alive it was like I've got this teaching program I've got this stuff I've got to teach you you've got tests that you need to take and it was just like really motivated by all of that and I still didn't learn how to do my taxes or balance a checkbook or anything of real value <laughs> <laughs> um I I one of the reasons that I felt really um, I struggled with leaving this year, even despite everything that was going on is because I do feel like, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I'm like, I was that space. I was the space that like was for kids that were like the gay kid who didn't want to go to homeroom because they were going to get made fun of. So they'd come to the art room and wait. Um, Mm -hmm. so they didn't have to spend extra time in that class. I was the place for, you know, having conversations about, well, why are we making this? Like, what are you saying with this? Like about who you are, right? And the thing is, art is art, music, theater, um, any of those classes that ask kids to make relationship to themselves gets cut first. Uh, I don't know if you know this, and I don't know if it's the same all over the country, but they've cut personal narrative out of English language, uh, like writing programs. Like, there's no like journaling and it's like, read this article, reproduce the article, um, do technical writing. Like here's the formulaic way that you write. And it, it's so impersonal. And yet we wonder why people are having severe depression and anxiety. We wonder why people are, are, are like just miserable. And it's because we've taken anything of personal value and we've said, it doesn't matter. Like, I don't, there was like a guy in education a few years ago. This was when I was still living in Pennsylvania. So it was like almost a decade ago and I forget who it was. Um, but it was like somebody in the National Education Association that was like, it doesn't matter what you think or feel. You just need to be able to do this. And I'm like, wow, wow. You know, it, and like, imagine hearing that as a kid. Like, it doesn't matter what you think, just regurgitate the facts and don't feel anything. And then 
kids go home and everything's so busy. Our life is so busy now. You know, this thing was supposed to make it easy for us, right? It's <laughs> make it easier and we'd have more time, but it does nothing but take away time and take, and like, I don't know if you've noticed this, but like everybody tries to document everything and everybody's trying to have like everything recorded. And I'm like, you record it here and maybe drawing a picture of it or having a, making a painting of it or writing a story about it or making a dance about it that makes you remember it, that gives it to you. Uh You're, you're so, everybody's so worried about giving that to somebody else that we forget that it, all the things that we have these experiences with are for us. And then because it's for us, then we get to make things that can also be for other people. Uh Now, the reason that we relate to a certain song is because we connect it to a point in our life. And we also connect it to what that musician is saying and the, the, the way they, they share it feels right to us. And there's this thing, but if that musician had never had the experience and then tried to translate it, we wouldn't have the relationship to that song. It's the same thing with our favorite movies and books and anything was because an artist of some sort was inspired by an experience they had to create this thing. Now my phone's ringing. <laughs> it was like, you touched me. I'm going to speak up. Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm like, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yes. The, uh, so much there. And that, um, I, I feel like we're, what you said about trying to capture everything with the phone is sort of preventing us from actually having an experience of that moment. And it's kind of like, we think we're having that experience, but we're having that experience through someone else's lens, through this separate lens, this like robotic lens of society. And if we can actually have that experience for ourselves and then record it through a story or a song or whatever, um, we experience it in another way in our body. And then we have that experience to share with others that comes through our lens of interpretation that just is such an even bigger impact on the world than any stupid Instagram, not, not that Instagram's stupid, but that any post could be, I mean, because that can also be meaningful, right? Like I've connected through a lot of Instagram posts, but I also wonder where am I blocking myself? I've thought of this. Where am I, when I think, Oh, this would make a nice, nice picture. Where am I actually then blocking myself from an even deeper and fuller experience of this? Like I've really been lately exploring my relationship to my phone and to Instagram for that reason, because I notice that sometimes that thought comes up and it's like, Ooh, I could, um, yeah, I could write a post about this, but what if I just wrote in my journal about it first or sat down and talked about it? Because that's kind of, I'm discovering just the way that I like to do it right now you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And so I, I want to take like a break from okay. <laughs> Instagram and yeah, do a yeah, detox, yeah. but I'm kind of also afraid. I'm I, yeah, because we've been, we've been programmed to think if we do that people will stop caring what we post or think or feel. Yes. And I thought, well, I'm going to say, I'm going to tell people I'm going to do detox. I'm, I'm not going to be on Instagram. Like 
who really cares? Who's going to notice? And why do I feel like obligated to tell people? Why can't I just do it to do it? Like, am I doing it for me? Am I doing it for show? Yeah. Well, everything, everything, we live in a world right now where everything is performative and it's, it's difficult. I think sometimes to know, like uh, I have a friend who's a, like a brand catalyst and like, she does all this, like helping people do that stuff. Right. And she's like, well, you just have to be more you. And I'm like, well, which me (laughs) because of all the dimensions, right? Uh Like which me, which me needs to do that because not all of me needs to be doing that. Like, and there, there, like, you know, there's a part of me that that's fine. That's, that's, that's for that. But yeah, like it is, it's like, what is it taking away from my own experience? And it, it, it's difficult. And it's as a teacher, again, like I get to witness things through the eyes of kids and watching their relationship to it is what was when I realized, okay, there's a problem. Um, their relationship to it is like, that is the world. And, you know, that's, it's not the world. Mm -hmm. It's what people want you to see of the world. And so it's a, it's a different, it's different. And uh, it, that's, that's, I think what made me more aware of it. And it's also like colored my relationship to it is Mm -hmm. that idea that it's, um, it's, it's an, it's an aspect and a component and we have to recognize it and the internet and social media and how we are connected is very important. It mirrors what we really are. In my opinion, it is a, it is an example of what we really are in the capacity of humanity. Mm-hmm. It's just being manipulated and used. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, sometimes I feel I like, I ask myself, you know, you said like this, this is, these kids look at this and they think that this is the world and it's not, but also it is because it's mirroring like where we're at Mm -hmm. as a humanity. And then how much of like, am I like my grandparents now or my parents where like, I'm just stuck in an old way. Is this like just a natural evolution that I'm resisting because I I don't want things to change or I think this is just my personal opinion. I think there's obviously some of that in us, right? Like there's no way around that. However, there were things that our parents were right about and there were things that our grandparents were right about. And it's not that like rock and roll is bad and like, and it's not that like TV in and of itself is bad or like, you know, any of that. But there is a like, you are more easily manipulated through these things. Yeah. And there are people who know how to hijack you through this. Mm-hmm. And you have to be well aware of yourself and your, how porous your boundaries are. Um, or it, it, can, it can be a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And we're not educating people on... The, in, in the ways that we were discussing about like knowing yourself and finding how you feel and how you think and we're putting them out there into this world and saying now go out there and do it mm-hmm. and all they're seeing is this is what the world wants me to be rather than I want to be this in the world mm-hmm. yeah it's like you, you said at the beginning that like when we first started talking you were like 
I was pushing down everything I thought I should be in order to be what the world wanted me to be. And I think that a lot of people have that experience. Yeah. And I, especially, I mean, social media is so much that experience of like image outer focus. Like, what am I looking like? How am I showing up? Am I accepted? Am I getting the likes? All of that. And because it is both and it's a beautiful tool. It's a tool for connection. And I think that something that's really shifted for me in my life in these last five years, six years is that I think like everything can be seen as a tool. And this was something that I had to shift personally with um, substances because my dad was an addict and I stayed away from that. And so anything that was associated with substances, except for alcohol, I had no problem getting into alcohol because it's so widely accepted. And I think that there is kind of a problem with that um, Mm -hmm. in the way that it's glorified, but everything can be a tool. It's how we use it. You could abuse broccoli. You know, you can abuse exercise. I had a roommate who ate too many carrots and turned orange. Like it's, it's a tool. Social media is a tool. So like, I find myself asking, what am I going to like going into this experience for? Um, Recently I've been drinking two cups of coffee a day and that's like, it's not, I'm not really feeling good. So I've asked myself, what am I looking for in the second cup of coffee? You know, what, what is there? Um, what am I trying to alter that I'm not happy with? Because really everything we do in some way is to alter our experience of consciousness <laughs> when you get down to it. Oh, mm-hmm. I'm eating because I'm hungry or is it because I'm hungry? Is it because I'm anxious? (laughs) You know, but whatever it is, I'm seeking to change something about my experience. And so if that a level of awareness could come into um, life early on, I, for, for people, for kids, I don't know. I think we'd be more empowered uh, people later in life, I suppose. I I know it's something that I feel was missing. Like, how am I feeling and how, how do I want to feel? And what is it that I'm doing to, to make that happen? Well, the interesting thing is kids are having those conversations with themselves right now, because it is part of the ethos. Like it's, it's out there, like these conversations are out there. So they're having them with each other, but they don't know enough to help each other. And a lot of parents aren't taking the time to have the conversations. Um, and so they're finding it online on, on TikTok. And like, I mean, it, it's very interesting. There's like, there's a lot of support out there amongst them to help each other through it. And maybe that's always been the way. I don't know how old you are. Um, I was born in 82. So thir- I'll be 38. Yeah. Okay. Well, so we're about almost 10 years difference then. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm 46. So, but I mean, I grew up like latchkey kid, you know, like you go home and you, and it, maybe it's always been this way. Maybe it's always been kids teach kids. Um, and it's, we're just seeing it more now because it's like televised and broadcast, Mm -hmm. but, um, it, it's, it's interesting that the support systems don't come from the elders in the community. The support systems come from your peers. Mm-hmm. and um you know it it hasn't it hasn't always been that way I was um, gonna say I don't think it's always been that way I mean it, I think in my lifetime it's been that way 
Yeah. I mean, we definitely like, you know, I grew up running around with kids from the neighborhood and we really influenced each other. And it's not like I had a lot of um, support, I feel like from adults, but I also didn't have that wide range access to so many people. Like AIM was just, you know, AOL and instant messenger was just like really becoming a thing when I was in high school and then we could kind of branch out. But now like the world's so big, I can't imagine how overwhelming that would be as someone in their developmental years, because it's overwhelming for me now at 38, you know, (laughs) it's a lot to take on. And so they might be there for, be there for each other, but it's, uh, it's a lot to sort through and to know what is, um, beneficial or right or like they, yeah you know. and the influence like you you know it's like you said like it's hard it's hard as an adult to know what's safe and what's not yeah wow so, um there's a we lot talk, we could I know like we could just talk forever <laughs> I know there's still I don't know what your time frame is because there's one more thing that I, I do you need to I'm fine I'm good my kids are outside playing okay I see the sunlight coming in it looks so nice <laughs> Um, from the last episode of your podcast, uh, once upon a time, we kind of touched a little bit on the mythology of the dragon. Um, what there, there's just so much there. I have notes on it and I realized I have the wrong notebook in front of me. So I wasn't meant to have access to those notes. So I'm just going to kind (laughs) of talk through a couple of things that really spoke to me. Um, I, have believed in the importance of story you express it so well um why it's important how it's important symbols and all of that and then this idea of fairy tales being so important and the scary stories being important because they show us um the things that we're gonna have to face you know the scary things that might come up in life and make us aware of the fact that there's bad stuff in the world and there's dark stuff in the world. That was really huge to me. There's a woman that I've learned a lot from about the nervous system, Irene Lyon, and she's, uh, um, she's work. Are you familiar with like somatic experiencing or any trauma work? I know, I know a little bit, but not a lot. Okay. I know what it is. (laughs) So it's, I mean, I don't want to get too much into that, so I'm not, but she's also an advocate for uh, like child trafficking. And she had a post today that pointed out that like, we need to be willing to see that stuff like this exists in the world. We need to be willing to let ourselves accept that there is this darkness and we're really not like, that's one of those things that we don't want to admit is happening. We want to push it away. And you spoke to that a little bit in your podcast about how these stories um, let us consider the possibility that the, we're going to encounter evil. And then that to, to touch evil and not become evil ourselves is transformation. Um, and that's like that evolution of the hero. Mm-hmm. Um, so and this, this just is something that is a thought coming through right now, but like to touch disease, to touch 
cancer, to touch death almost in that way and to not succumb to it and to not become, become it is such a huge transformation that is almost becoming more alive. Even though I, I openly, I mean, like we're all dying, <laughs> you know, I'm still, but I didn't die from the cancer, but what was that? But not everybody is aware that they're dying. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Did you and that, friends when you got sick, did people like, were they like, I don't, I can't do this. Yes. I, I, a friend who was there through it, who showed up and I knew that she was someone who could be in the hospital, who could protect me, who could do these things, but I've lost touch with her. Um, and I think it's because she's not ready to face what she needs to face it's too much still. And I, I told this to a coworker when I went back to work, I was like, oh yeah, some people look at me differently. And she had mm-hmm. lost her mother and she's like, really? And I was like, yeah, I make them think of death. They don't want to mm-hmm. think about it. I, I, I represent that to them now. And she was like, get Same. out. Really? Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, you don't see that. And I am not that for you because you've already been touched by death. You've already had to make this realization that it's coming, that you will lose people. And part of a lot of, I think, the dissatisfaction that we see in people in life and the world and depression is the fact that we are not, we don't become acquainted with our mortality early on in in life. And we fear it so much. And this, oh, sorry, I'm going to go off on like tangents here, but I, I pulled a tarot card yesterday and it, it was the Eon from the Thoth deck. I don't know how mm-hmm. you're probably very more into tarot than I am, but I, then I read about it and how um, we went from a culture that was so focused on birth and the goddess and the woman and, and this uh, into a, an era of being obsessed with death to the point that we are fearful of death and we pushed it away um, and just how detrimental that is. Um, so anyway, I, I noticed that when I had my, my cancer, people falling away, people not being able to handle it, what it brought up in other people. Yeah. One of my really best friends, like the weekend after I was diagnosed and like, everybody was already like feeling sad for me because my dad had been diagnosed. And then, you know, a month and a half later I'm diagnosed and, and so a friend, we were living outside of Philadelphia and a friend from DC drove up to be with me, which was great. She's been a f- close friend forever and she still is, but she brought me like a mix CD and like all these things. She's like, it's Barry Manilow and it's going to be fun. And we're going to laugh. And I'm like, no, 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 no. My dad is dying. And I just got diagnosed with cancer. If you can't do the dark, horrible, you can't be here. Like you can't be here because I need to be in the dark, horrible. And I don't want to pretend that I'm not for you. So welcome or not, mm-hmm. you know? And um, I think that I feel really lucky. Um, I grew up a, a goth kid, um, you know, I was very interested in death. When I was in preschool, I had a burial for the dolls in class. Like I, there was a box of dolls and I took them to the sandbox and had all the other kids come around. And we had a, like, I had a ritual for their death. And like my teacher called my mom and was like, was there a death in the family? And my mom was like, no, it's just what she does. Um, and, um, 
And when I was in college, I took classes in death. I lived at the gatekeeper's house of a cemetery in college. I am so cool. (laughs) I was like, but it was because I felt like I need to know this. And I'm so, I feel like I, it was like, this is a random uh, tangent, but I feel like we do this life a couple of times. Um, And so I'm like, I feel like I had to, I knew coming in that I need to get my head around it early. And um, so I like set my, put myself into positions to be ready when it came. And, um, you know, it's, I'm glad I did, but I got a feeling I did this one a bunch before I got there. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. That's, that's such cool stuff. I agree that we do this a bunch of times and that like, you felt like you had that knowing is really cool. And I'm, it brings up in me something that I'm trying to piece together as part of my story. I like, you said this in your uh, podcast too. Like you ask people like what they remember about stories and fairy tales and stuff. And I tried to think, and I couldn't really think of any except for the wizard of Oz. um, This fascination with the man behind the curtain um, Mm -hmm. and home. Uh, And then I was thinking of the stories that I read when I was a kid. And I remember reading stories about kids with cancer. This, there's this, um, young adult author, Lurleen McDaniel, and she wrote a book series, Six Months to Live, Too Young to Die. It's all about this girl who has leukemia and her finding community. And she got to go to cancer camp and like, then she got the attention of her parents. And, and then I, I wanted to be, I was very fascinated with that. These kids who were going to die young, um, And then I thought I was going to be a doctor and I wanted to be an oncologist. Uh, And then I dropped that. I ended up being a Chinese studies major eventually when I finally like got my degree. Now I believe everything's energy and I'm really fascinated by the Tao. Right. And now here I am. I, I, I got to have cancer. (laughs) Woo. And I'm like, but don't you think I, that part of the childhood you, that knew that you needed to intake that so that when you were older, you'd have a, you've already had a, you built a relationship before it even happened. Yeah. I, yes, I think there's something to it. And I didn't, I don't know if I would have framed it that way. There was a part of me that felt like, did I want this? Did I want this experience? Was I in what way, like, how does it relate and maybe it was me being ready for it. That's, um, that's a, just a different, different framing of well, it, a different telling of the story. Um, I, yeah, like how we tell the story is it, it is important. It right? is like, because if you say like, I wanted it is very different than saying I was preparing myself for it. Totally. And one, yeah. I mean, both are empowered really both is choice. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like, oh, I made it happen. <laughs> I was asking. I noticed, um, I forget, I was listening to one of your podcasts and you, you said something about choice. And I, I, I've been thinking, I think about this a lot. I, um, 
I kind of, I think it's probably because of the fortune teller background, the family background. I kind of believe in predestination. Um, I kind of believe that when we get here, the story's already been unfolding and we're just kind of, we fill in the plot lines, like, but that there, there are points that have already been outlined. Mm-hmm. And I feel like sometimes that my only choice is my relationship to what's happening. And, um, and I think that's why sometimes things that are, things just feel familiar and people are like, how are you dealing with this? And I'm like, I, I feel like it's just, this was what was going to happen. And for me having, I I think it's probably like, um, what do you call it? Like I cope better because of it. Like I cope better because I'm like, this is what was going to happen anyway. So I'm making my connection to this thing. And in some ways it lets me get away with things though. It lets me be like, well, you know, I didn't have a say, but I don't know about, have you ever had your palm read? No, I haven't. No. Um, so I've got a fate line and not everybody has fate lines. So um, the fate line is, and I, it's hard to show you, but there's a line that runs from the base of my palm all the way up through the center of my finger. Okay. It's like yeah. right there and uh-huh. it goes all the way up. Uh-huh. Not everybody has one or some people will have one that goes like partially up. And to me, I'm like, my life is, and my grandmother would say, well, everything's already been planned. And Um, Not everybody has them. So I'm not saying everybody is predestined. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that we come here in different, different ways, but some people I'll see that they'll have like half of one. So it's like their early life was predestined, but their late life isn't or vice versa. Um, And I'm like, well, you know, mine's like straight up my hand. Like, I feel like, okay, well, I don't think I had a lot of choice, but I think I made the best choices I could with what I was given. Uh Um, and maybe that's why I think story is so important because I'm like, well, this is a story I was given. I'm making the most of it. (laughs) Yeah. That's, um, the, um, it reminded me of two things there. And I, again, I can't remember who said this quote, but like, except if you accept everything that happens as though you've chosen it, like life's just easier, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, there's no, you don't have any resistance to it. You can make the most of it. Um, And then also it can be a bypass. You know, people talk about like a way of like kind of shirking responsibility. Oh, well, it was just meant to happen that way. You know, and it's like, well, because we do still have choice, don't we? Like, how do you balance that? Like, you know, you have a choice to keep talking to me or say, oh, I've got to go. And like, I don't know. Yes. But um, I did, right. Not long after my cancer, I did a study um, and I, you know, I'm not. All right. I'll just say this. I did some study in Kabbalah and there's some really great things in it that I really took away from and I really appreciate. And then there are other things that I just had to leave with that because it didn't connect. It didn't feel right to me. Um, But one of the things that they say that a lot of people walk away from it at the point where you do discuss that there's no free will. And, um, and it is a very challenging idea that we wouldn't have free will. But again, I've had to look at that and for I frame it in a very, um, well, which aspect doesn't have free will? Because there's lots of different aspects and lots of different dimensions of me. So which, which part doesn't have that? Um, and I don't have an answer for that yet. 
but um but for me like I don't know choice I want to believe it sometimes I want to believe that I have it and then other ways I'm like but I don't I don't know I don't know I I've got like this whole story that I have in my own head about free will versus fate and you know and it has to be both right like because that's the answer but how how we negotiate that like how we negotiate free will versus fate I I don't know that's a big one that makes my head explode it really (laughs) does I'm like look at me I sat back I'm like oh no because I can get I can get lost in rabbit holes in my head of just spinning around and in some of these things and I think for me, this is where, like, I love conversation. I love talking to other people about what they believe because I take in new stuff. I learn more about myself and what I know. And then sometimes, like, there's just so much in the head that because there's so much out in the world and the universe, and we can only make sense of so much of it up here that for me, this is like a point where I'm like, oh, I need to feel this. I, this is where I would go to my slack line and just feel and be yeah. and feel my my choice and my knowing and my yeah and then i feel connected and i i feel like it doesn't matter like i don't actually even need to know that's it, yeah it just is that's and that's if, most of the time i end up there some days i end up in the like well wait which one is it what point am I at right now? Is this one free will? But most of my life has not felt like I had a choice. Like I didn't feel like I had a choice about leaving my job. I mean, I did, I could have gone to work during coronavirus with a classroom full of children, but I changed my mind. I, so was that choice or was it not choice? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This this has been so good. I feel like there are a million other things. Um, so we're just gonna. I, I would love to talk again. I would love to too. Yay! <laughs> yeah, this is um, amazing. And I just you are from what I feel from you. Like you're this art teacher person, human being, like living your experience so fully. Like that you're like this, like big creative like well mirror I I don't I don't know but you have just like so much to to like offer people in this and so like I hope you're right (laughs) I yeah I I mean I I really believe it I think that um you know just listening to your podcast I gained so much and so um I'm really glad to hear that you you started thinking that what you were doing is art because it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. I that's a that's a big shift. And like, if you like, that's a shift that I know other people are looking for too. Um, and you you have a way of communicating that for me. It'll communicate to other people among many other things um, because you have a way of. Uh, putting yourself out there um, to be received by other people. Just like you. Yeah, right? <laughs> Doing it right here. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for making this possible. Um, 
Yeah, this is great. So I'm going to um, post this up to YouTube and also put it out on um, the podcast in raw audio. Um, and, and this is just what I'm calling raw conversations. Well, I'm glad I got to be part of having one. Yeah. Is there anything else that you would want to share? Do you want to let people know how they can hear more about you um, and, or work with you? Um, because you I, um, are offering amazing things. Yeah, I think so. I, I think I'm beginning to understand what it is I want to offer. Like when I first left school, I was like, I think I'm going to teach art classes. And I'm like, I don't want to teach art classes. There's so much out there. Like anybody can go on YouTube and get a pretty good art education about skill. I want to help people learn to point skill and think about it differently and figure out why they want the skill to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, you can listen to my podcast. It's just starling. Um but my website is starlingcreativeliving.com and you can email me at uh, starlingcreativeliving at gmail.com and I'm your friend on Instagram. So, uh, and that's at the Starling Creative. I, um, I'm currently, my favorite thing that I'm doing is a meditation group on Sunday mornings. And I was worried about offering that because I'm like, well, we're just gonna think about things that should get us towards creation. And it's not like an art class. It's about like, these are things that will enrich you to help you feel more connected to creating. Um, and it's working, I think I've gotten good feedback, but it's not, I was worried that people would be like, well, this isn't an art class, um, but it is. So I'm curious about that because I looked at it and I was like, oh, that's cool. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe it's just for like drawing people, you know? mm No, um, it's, you know, like uh, the last one we did a study, like we, like I offer a little, I do a meditation and then um, we do like a contemplation period where um, I'll give a topic and we'll just listen to some music and have contemplation. And then we come back together for discussion. Um, And the last one, like I'll introduce things and I'll be like, does everybody know what this is? And if not, I'll go through it. Like, We've done some things talking about chakra. We've done some things talking about archetypes. We've done some things talking about, you know, a lot of spiritual content, but it's like, and I always preface it with, I'm teaching this as a creative. So my interpretations of this are not based necessarily on the fact. It's based on how can we take this content and creatively interpret it to use it for ourselves and whatever practice we want to put it towards. And that might make some people uncomfortable because they're like, well, I know, like, it means this, it means this. And I'm like, to you. (laughs) Um, So, you know, or to whoever wrote your book, right? Or, right? So how do we take that content in and let it ruminate and percolate within us? And then when it's ready to come out, what does it make? Mm -hmm. What does it make when it connects with us? Mm-hmm. So that's my oh. favorite thing right now. <laughs> I want to do it. I want to yeah, do, do it. Yeah. Do it. I think it would be fun. Um, okay. So su- <laughs> Sunday morning. Sunday morning. I'll send you some information. What, what time is it? You're in central time. I am. So it's, I did it later. Um, so it's 10 my time. So what okay. is that? Eight your time? Eight my time. That's perfect. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually probably better. I've got some people on the East coast that are like, 
um, this is a little late for me. And I'm like, I know it's like, but it's perfect in a way. Cause then I can kind of, <laughs> I know can't so. make everybody happy. And it's, it's, um, learning to, uh, do this stuff online is, um, a journey. That's its own yeah. thing. Right. It is. <laughs> it is. It's all, it's a totally new process, but at the same time, it like gives us such a chance to connect with other people that we would have never had the, the chance to connect with. So mm-hmm. it's, it's a tool. How, how do we want to use it? What's the story we want to tell about it? Right. <laughs> right. Yes. Okay. Well, all right. This conversation. I've really enjoyed it. It's been so beautiful. Thank you for being here, Amy. And um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. I look forward to talking again, because I really, maybe we can even do something this month, because I would love to talk more about the shadow and the darker stuff. That's what we're doing on Sunday in my meditation group. Oh my gosh. Okay. So that's just, we're going to go through that step and then see where that takes us. Just like, just like walking the slack line. Yes. Awesome. I'll talk to you soon. All All right. Bye. Bye.